1: The Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio only sports talk platform free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club Thirty Four Seven. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live. Because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities. For interaction between me and you, my loyal audience, so be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? As Bill Belichick famously said years ago, we're on to Cincinnati. The Rams are behind us. Week one is over, and we are headed back home to Soldier Field to take on the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, led by Joe Burrow, oh, and against our beloved, led by former Bengal quarterback Andy Dalton. That's an issue all into itself. But, um, you know, on the show that we have, uh, our first preview uh, uh, episode of the week, because um, we have two always, is uh, Kyle Phelps from the Battle of Ohio podcast. Interesting show. Him and a Browns fan go back and forth. Um, I'm actually going to be on the show uh, tonight. I think it's on YouTube. Be sure to check out on the social Social medias. I don't know if they do it live or if they record it and post it afterward. I didn't ask for a whole lot of details. I was thrilled to be asked to be on the show, so I didn't really ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I just told you know, tell me when and where, and I'll be there kind of thing. And they uh, he posted. You'll hear at the end of the show. He's like, we post the show on YouTube and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I think they record it first and post it later. I don't know if they do it live. If they do, I'll keep you guys informed. Otherwise, be on the lookout for the link of me being on the show. Uh, anyway. Lots to get into you know Kyle and I talked about the the game on Sunday uh because that was basically that was the early game that I watched last week was the the Bengals and the uh and the Vikings and um you know I, I just uh, and and then of course a few hours later uh we're watching the the Rams carve us up and and uh it didn't look too dissimilar to what the uh to what the Bengals did to the Vikings although the Bengals had a much more um uh even attack with the uh against the Vikings than the Rams had against us they didn't start adding yardage or on the ground until late in the ball game I'm talking about the Rams the uh the Bengals walked away you know Joe Burrow was 20 of 27 for the game almost 300 yards passing and uh no interception so he didn't turn the football over and Joe Mixon their running back. Is the rushing is the leader leading rusher in the NFL after one week he had nearly 130 yards rushing uh, against the uh, the Vikings so they piled on the yardage uh, against the Vikings so to be up to us to try to put a stop to that and uh, you know Jamar Chase their rookie wide receiver um, who had who had a basically had a case of the yips he was dropping passes uh, in the preseason uh, was showing why he was a top five uh, draft choice even after opting out of the 2020 season. Uh, You know, last year for because of covid and everything, five catches, 105 yards, a touchdown and all that kind of stuff. It makes you wonder if if they might be able to do the same thing to us that the Rams did in the passing game. So that's become a concern. Uh, We'll talk more about that tomorrow in the deep dive uh, preview. But uh, let's go ahead and get the show started. We're going to bring in Kyle Phelps from the Battle of Ohio podcast to help us preview week two between the Bears and the Bengals right here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Week number two has our beloved returning home uh, for the season opener, or the home opener, I should say. We've already opened the season quite ungloriously on national television, hip-hip-hooray. But um, we'll be heading home uh, to... uh, to Soldier Field to take on the Bengals and the the Joe Burrow led Bengals and unfortunately the Chicago Bear, uh, being led by Andy Dalton, um, and to help us preview this game, this matchup for week number two, uh, from the Battle of Ohio podcast, Kyle Phelps. Uh, how are we doing, Kyle?
2: Hey, what's going on, man? I gotta say. Uh... You know, Andy Dalton is my boy, and you know I'm I'm so glad we got Joe Burrow now. But I've been rooting my ass off for him up there in Chicago. Just not this week, not this week. Right, You're going to have course. to take an L this week.
1: Sure, and you know I I know I understand what you mean. Um, I like on the f- especially with what we had at quarterback last year. Andy Dalton yeah. is a definite upgrade for us. I believe that one hundred percent. The only problem with Andy Dalton is that he's not Justin Fields. I mean, that's that's the that's the issue uh right now, you know. For all the good that he can do and probably will do, uh he is not Justin Fields, therefore he's the past, not the future as far as bear fans are concerned. And honestly, when the Bears were talking about making 2020 an open quarterback competition, for mm-hmm. Mitch and whoever Dalton was at the top of my list. As far as who I wanted to go through that competition with Mitch, you know, I, yeah, I, sure. I, I, he was the number one choice. You guys had drafted Burrow. So he's not, he's obviously not sticking around. Let's go and get uh, Andy Dalton. I think he would be perfect for this. A change of pace for him. Bill laser is our offensive coordinator. So there's some familiarity there with those two. I thought it would have been a great fit we end up getting Andy Dalton a year too late, in in uh, in my opinion. If we if we well, I mean, if we'd have had him last year, going into this year as well, at least we as Bear fans would have like this year of of uh, you know uh, bonding with him through the season last year, as opposed to him coming in cold. Especially he comes in off the heels of us apparently being this close to getting Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks, and then we quote unquote settle. For Andy Dalton. I mean, it's just a bad set of circumstances for him across the board. He gets introduced as QB1 on Twitter five seconds after we hear that we're not getting Russell Wilson. And then we go through this weird preseason where he's out there with literally zero starters, none of the guys that he's going to be throwing passes to or guys that he throws passes to in practice. And he doesn't look very well. uh, You know, Justin Fields comes in, lights up the scoreboard. He's getting first downs. And it's just, it's like we set up Andy. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
0: Hi, checking in for. Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming. And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it You need indeed
1: Dalton to fail. And then, you know, the bears are wondering why it is. Andy Dalton is, you know, people don't like Andy Dalton. They don't want to see him out there. Well, it's, you basically screwed him from the beginning. And I don't think it's been fair uh, to him. So um, anyway, he's going to be our guy starting against you guys on Tuesday or Tuesday on Sunday. And, um, you know, after I watched the game between the Bengals ah. and the Vikings on Sunday, and after watching that, I don't know if I want to play you guys on Sunday, man. You guys look pretty sharp against the Vikings.
2: Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it, it was definitely an enjoyable game. The, the main thing with the Vikings, I was really worried that their offense was going to absolutely tear up our defense. But we, we saw a little bit of that spark from the defense in the uh, preseason because it was just so bad last year. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was just no pass rush. Well, we got to Kirk Cousins three times and you know, all of those facts came from our interior defensive line, which, you know, throws back to the days back when Geno Atkins was here and he was, you know, really playing well. So
3: sure.
2: kinda hoping that, you know, some, we're gonna see something similar against the Bears uh, offensive line, which I know has kind of been a bit of a patchwork and not exactly something to look forward to, but I think that's probably one of the biggest keys for the Bengals coming into this game to with people we did last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, we played the Rams week one and, um, you know, by the end of the game, we were down to our third left tackle because Jason Peters, who's been nothing but injured the past five seasons, was out of the game midway through the second quarter. Uh, His replacement, who was a rookie fifth round draft choice, goes down not long after that because he got rolled up, which is uh, offensive lineman's favorite thing to have happen to him to be standing there blocking someone and then have someone just roll up on the back of your legs uh, like that. Uh, Neither one has really a status for Sunday. The injury reports really haven't come out yet, so we just don't know at this point. And the guy that came in, Elijah Wilkerson, spent the preseason getting whooped by everybody. So it was just like, oh, dear God, this is going to be – and he's playing left tackle. You know, he's playing left tackle. From left guard over to right tackle, we're actually not bad. You know, where this, these were our starters from last year. Uh, we got James Daniels back after he was out most of the season with a pec injury. He's back in. He's at right guard. From left guard over to right tackle, we're good. It's just that the guy protecting Andy's backside is, uh, is you know, we don't know who that's going to be. Is it going to be Elijah Wilkerson? Is it going to be a hobbled Jason Peters? Is Larry Baram going to be able to come back in time? We just don't know. Uh, Right now, and the reason that the offense was the way it was, you know, three steps, drops, balls getting out quick, no pass over 10 yards for the entire football game uh, on Sunday is because of the offensive line and wanting to get the ball out quick against this pass rush that ate us alive uh, last year with the Rams. So I don't know if we're going to change that up because we're going against the Bengals who only had 17 sacks all of last year. Or, you know, if we're going to be worried about after watching film and seeing the interior of the line get three sacks and, you know, we're still going to be playing this short passing game to kind of offset it. So uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen there. But um, I wanted to ask you, because, like, I'm watching the game. Week one has always been one of the weirdest weeks in the NFL, period, because we're looking at this thing through the lens of – last year. So there's often a lot of surprises when you look at it. Like Arizona coming out and just pasting the Titans uh on Sunday. The 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 Saints just walloping the the Packers 38 to 3, you know, other various upsets and and you know, for all intents and purposes Sunday's win over the Vikings would be looked upon as an upset despite the fact that you were at home uh and all that yeah. kind of stuff. What I wanted to know is like your thoughts on whether it Because like, through the lens of 2020, what I saw was the Bengals' offense picking up where it left off before Burrow got hurt, and I saw the Vikings' defense being garbage like it was last year. So are they truly kind of picking up? Because my dad asked me. He's like, you're watching the game. Are they that good? Or are the Vikings that bad? And my answer was, it's the week one, so I honestly couldn't say. But based on last year, this is what I think. They're picking up from where they left off before Burrow got hurt, and the Vikings were garbage on defense last year. Looks like they're picking up from that trend uh, again. What did you think watching the game?
2: Well, uh, I, I can tell you going into that game, the Bengals were three point underdogs at home, right. which is you know, by, like like as far as the betting lines goes, that nobody believes in the Bengals this year. I'm not even a lot of Bengals fans really believe in the Bengals this year. But the way I see it, there were
3: four major
2: things that the Bengals really needed to fix from last year. Like, if they, if they had already had these things fixed, then they would have won a lot more games than they did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, there was a lot of one-score games. But, you know, our kicker, Randy Bullock, was trash last year. He, you know, went to the line and didn't even make the Lions. Um, our defensive line couldn't get any uh, pressure. I just talked to you about that. That sure. seems to be getting better. The offensive line couldn't protect the uh, quarterback in any way, shape, or form. And, it you know, th- that also – seems to have gotten better. Um, I mean, we had our own issues. Joe Burrow did get sacked five times, but a lot of that was because, you know, we had running backs who were trying to um, go up against Neil Hunter, and that just never works. Sure. Um, and then uh, the, the fourth thing we needed last year was a deep passing game, and Jamar Chase appears to have fixed that. Now, you know, we all know the, all the stories about Jamar Chase and what he did in the preseason, pre-season as far as drops go. But he showed that none of that mattered when they played the Vikings. You know, Jamar Chase was just like, no, I'm the same guy who was at LSU. You should have been, you know, paying attention to my work ethic and everything instead of paying attention to the fact that, you know, I had a couple of drops. Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as whether the Bengals are legit this year or not, I I can't quite tell you. I can say that my expectation for the team this
3: year is,
2: you know, depending on how good of a coach Zach Taylor can be, which I, I do think he's pretty good, but... You know, there's also some questionable things that he does, like, you know, go for it um, on on fourth down in your own 30 when you got the lead, when you got a two-point lead against the Vikings yeah. in the third quarter. That was a really weird, questionable coaching decision, but if he can be a generally pretty decent coach, I think that this team can probably be about, you know, an 8, 9, 10 win team, if everything kind of goes the direction that it has been going so far. Like I said, those four main things are all fixed. Evan McPherson, our new rookie kicker is just absolutely lights out. Everybody's comparing him to Justin Tucker.
1: Yeah, he did a great Fantastic. job. He those were two huge kicks that uh that he yeah. kicked there in the fourth quarter and then to the, to win it uh at the end.
2: He made a he made he made a 57-yard kick in the preseason which would have tied the franchise record a bit if it had happened in the game to matter. Nice. So, um I, I I can't I can't definitively say that the Bengals are significantly you know better that they're going to be like contending for anything this year, but I can tell you that the things that we thought needed to be fixed seem to have generally been fixed. So if Joe Burrow can just continue playing the level we know he's capable of, I do think this can be a bit of a dangerous team.
1: Yeah, for sure, uh, and especially can be a key word. You know, yeah, can be, and and what I saw. Um, was apparently our Achilles heel in L.A. against the Rams, is is someplace that, uh, you know, you guys did fairly well with, with, you know, Jamar Chase and every... Has there been any discussion about Jamar Chase's, you know, problems in the preseason as far as to ring rust? Because he did opt out of 2020. So this is his first yeah. football game in like 18 months that he's playing uh, in the preseason. Since the national championship game, when him and Burrow put 90 up on Clemson, uh, this These are the first games that he's played since then. I mean, granted, his yeah. excuse about the ball being bigger was pretty lame, but I don't think that I saw any discussion about, hey, this kid opted out in 2020. He hasn't played football in nearly two years. Can we, you know, wait for him to kind of get back into the game again? Was there any discussion about that?
2: Okay, so for, first of all, I want to go to bat for Jamar Chase a little bit here. Um, what he said was literally just he directly dan horde our um um uh, our, our our team of uh, radio announcers um asked him a direct question asked hey um is like like he was just talking about his drop issues and Dan horde was like hey do you think that the difference between the ball has anything to do with it? And Jamar Chase was like, yes, here are the differences between the ball. And Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, who was just the absolute worst enemy of Bengals fans in all, of, of all time ever, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, decided, hey, I'm going to spin that and, you know, just take this completely out of context so that Jamar Chase basically sounds like he's saying, like, oh, no, it's not my fault. It's the fact that the ball's different. That's what's the problem. Yeah, well, that, that, that really got on Bengals fans nerves for that entire like three-week period that everybody was talking about that. And then, you know, he went out and he was uh, talking trash with um, Chris Boyd, the Vikings cornerback, um, about how, you know, he, he didn't even talk trash. Like, he just said, you know, he, he tweeted out 1-0 and, and then Chris Boyd was like, uh, excuse me? And then that was the whole thing. But it was just so satisfying to see him go out and, like, have that huge game and shut everybody up because that's that, that's just what we really need to see. But as far as... um. I'm sorry, I got off topic. Can you ask me that question again?
1: What the was there any discussion about Ring rust because he hadn't played since January rust, right. of 2020?
2: That that actually was a pretty significant um, topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they a lot of people who were you know uh, at least within the Bengals community. We're saying like you know this is probably you know this is why n- nobody was at the point where they were panicking about Jamar Chase yet. Everybody was basically saying you know we're we're we're, we're paying attention but we're not concerned. Yet. Sure. Um, if, it, if 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 we get to like week three and he's still dropping balls and can't get anything done, then we're going to start being concerned. If it gets to like week eight or nine and he still can't catch anything, then we're going to start panicking.
3: But yeah. we're not.
2: Really, quite there yet because of a lot of things. Like I, I mentioned earlier, his work ethic um, is just—it's—it's it's comparable to Joe Burrow's, um, and and that's why we drafted these guys. Because we know that if they do have issues, they're going to work so hard through it. And that's what uh, Jamar Chase did. Every single practice after those drop issues started happening, he was um, he was practicing with the uh, jugs machine, and he was just trying to work through his issues. And a lot of people were saying, you know, like you were saying, a lot of people were saying that, um, this guy hasn't caught a single pass in nearly two years. Yeah. And you know, yeah, the last guy he caught a pass was from, uh, Joe Burrow, but that was back in the 2019 national championship. Um, it, 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 it he's going to have to go out there. He's going to have to knock off that rust. He's going to have to kind of get in the rhythm before he can do anything. And that's what I think they were trying to do in the preseason mm-hmm. when, um, particularly in that, uh, the, the three snaps that Joe Burrow took in the uh, final preseason game that, you know, everybody made a big deal about. It was like, Oh, Joe Burrow actually made it back for the preseason when people were saying he might not even be back for like week eight of the regular season. <laughs> um, and then I think part of the idea and part of the reason that they threw a screen pass Jamar Chase. And I think the idea was to just get a really easy catch and get him going so he could knock off some of that rust so that he would, you know, have a little bit of confidence going into week one. Sure. And we, we saw with the performance he had in week one, that that wasn't really necessary. But what ended up happening was he just like dropped one of the easiest catches you'll ever make in your life. And the entire planet just went like, oh my God, Jamar Chase is a bust. What's going on? Yeah. And it, it was so annoying.
1: I mean, I bet it was. I mean, it's, it's, well, because one of the things I wanted to ask is like, despite his performance week one, is like, never mind what, what, you know, having his little case of the yips in the, in the preseason with the, with the drops and everything. Where did you sit going into draft day? Were you, uh, well, let's get Jamar Chase and get Burrow and him together and, and, you know, get this offense going? Or were you pounding the table for Penny Sewell considering that, you know, the offensive line is the reason that Burrow got hurt against Washington?
3: I was of the – I was definitely of the
2: let's go get a um, pass catcher camp because that was – like I said, that was one of the biggest issues. Like, 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 like as far as, like, like I said, the four main issues that were a big problem with the way the team performed last year, part of the reason Joe Burrow was getting hit so much is because, um, like, n- nobody could get open because there was no deep passing game. There was no respect for what was going on down the field. So, you know, the, the thought process is you bring in Jamar Chase and Burrow can, you know, Make some big plays to him, and you can kind of like tame defenses that way, um, in, in a way that, you know, maybe just bringing in somebody who's just a better pass defender isn't necessarily going to help you do.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was part of it was partly a
2: strategic thing. Now, I didn't so much think that, like, I, okay, I, I thought Jamar Chase would be a great pick, but I wanted Kyle Pitts. I was kind of hoping <laughs> that okay. he would not end up being taken by the Atlanta Falcons, and I was thinking that, I was hoping, that, oh, maybe we can go get Kyle Pitts. And that didn't end up happening. We did get Jamar Chase. But if it had come down to Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell, I would, if I was, you know, Duke Tobin, I personally would have taken Jamar Chase. But I also was like, I understand if we take Penny Sewell. Yeah. Um, we didn't need a left tackle, but everybody's talking about, oh, he can slide over to right tackle and from what we've seen in Detroit doesn't look like he's so good at right tackle, but he did great at left tackle,
3: yeah. you know, and in
2: his in his first regular season game. But he was terrible at right tackle in the preseason. But yeah. then again, Jamar Chase was terrible in the preseason. That was so maybe we shouldn't make too much to
1: it. Yeah, that was interesting. That uh, I was like, why is he playing right tackle? But I mean, the funny thing was they were playing him at right tackle because they had Decker at left tackle. Well, Decker got hurt, so they had to put him at left yeah. tackle. So now, when Decker comes back, he might have to switch over to to right tackle because Sewell had played actually played, played pretty well against uh, Nick Bosa. Um, which is, you know, one of the league's best pass rushers. So they may have accidentally, uh, you know, moved him into the position he was meant to play. So, but, yeah. you know, it's like I, I'm an I'm an old offensive lineman. So, of course, I was like, it's got to be Sewell. They got to take Sewell. And, yeah. you know, it, it's hard. It doesn't matter who's out there catching passes if you're trying to throw the football from beneath a mountain of bodies. So I was uh, of the Penny Sewell uh, persuasion, but I'm biased as hell because I'm an offensive lineman. Uh, at heart, but um, you know what you're saying makes sense uh, as well. It's like one of the reasons is he's standing back there forever because nobody can get separation, nobody can get open. Jamar Chase will help you open things up, and uh, you know maybe get your guys on some one on ones. Nobody's going to get doubled because you got to focus on on Chase. And you right. already have T Higgins and Tyler well, Boyd and and all those guys as well.
2: Right, I, I can I can tell you, uh, I personally. Uh, play used to play wide receiver like back in the day. Sure. I was also very bad at wide receiver. I, <laughs> I was a very bad football player. So I, I can tell you how how much it just destroys everything that an offense is doing to have a guy who can't catch on the field. Sure. Um, so 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 I mean maybe maybe I'm a little biased from knowing how much that hurts the team. <laughs>
1: That's a unique perspective, and we appreciate it. So there you go. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about this game, man. Cause like I said, I was, uh, I was able to watch the game, uh, on Sunday and you know, it was a very quiet first quarter, the Vikings strike first, they go out, they go ahead seven, uh, nothing that, you know, put a, a 14 play 91 yard drive together, just move the ball down the field. You guys come, come back, you get, the, you tie it up seven, seven. And then just before the half, you get, you get the ball right back. Then just before half, boom, here come the fireworks. Jamar Chase, 50 yards down the sideline, breaks a tackle. And just like that, like literally inside of like 90 seconds, it went from 17-0 to 14-7 Bengals having the lead uh, at halftime. I mean, it was bang, bang as far as how quickly uh, it happened. And that Jamar Chase touchdown really just kind of set the crowd on fire when that happened.
2: Oh yeah, well, I, I was I was at the game and I, I can tell you I, I I'm all the way up in like the third row or like the third the third section like the canopy.
3: Sure.
2: Um, because I, I can't I can't afford to sit in like the nice seats or anything like that. Who can, but I mean dude, I was obviously. like I mean we were well I, a lot of these Bengals fans I'm supposedly competing with on Twitter uh, all of them are like taking shots from these nice parts of the game I'm like how do you guys afford those seats man yeah I don't know but. But but I I mean we were we were all going nuts when that happened. I know I started like just jumping up and down and like stomping on the ground. I'm like I I told you guys to be like catch this uh, Jamar Chase guy. He's gonna be awesome. And when that happened, everything just went like. I mean those Vikings fans went silent. We we like you know how Vikings fans are. I'm sure. I mean you know they um they, they do that skull chant when they're you know just trying to get on you um like when when they're visiting uh. When they're visiting an opposing stadium, they'll, like, shout skull all over the place just to get on your nerves. So, Jamar Chase did that, and a lot of people in my section just looked at uh, the Vikings fans that were in the area, and were like, skull! And
3: it was great.
1: <laughs> and then, you know, you guys start with the ball in the second half, and 11 plays, 75 yards, the first basically six minutes of the quarter, you polish it off, and again, it went from 7 nothing with about two minutes to go in the In the first half to all of a sudden it's twenty one seven you guys are ahead, and dude, I didn't know you were at the game because you and i were, were going back and forth on on Twitter when I was trying to get you on the show. you were at the game while while we're going back and forth yeah. <laughs> uh
2: when w- yeah yeah, because I was like I mean you know I was uh tweeting up the storm because of all these different points that I want to make, mainly because I was trying to save a lot of these ideas for the podcast so I don't forget them. I don't exactly have, like, a pen and a notepad while I'm at the game. I'm not, like, you know, can't be in the press box. I just got to do what I can. So I And then I saw you message me, and I'm like, all right, let's do this.
1: (laughs) But, you know, but then things really get exciting Uh, later half of the third quarter, and that's when you mentioned before the questionable thing that Zach Taylor did Going for it deep in your own territory, and that backfired huge because you don't get the first yeah. down and then it only takes Minnesota. It was thirty yards. Four plays, thirty yards, fifty one seconds, an easy touchdown to Adam Thielen. And now it's twenty one fourteen. Nothing to get worried about, but it's a score that shouldn't have happened. You know, it's a score that shouldn't That's, have happened. That, yeah. You know, and I and I when you're a when you're a fan of a team. Has had trouble with, you know, success or hasn't had success in a long time. There's a lot of when something like that happens, that you, you it's so easy to go, here we go again. You know, it's like, was that the mistake that's gonna set this thing off? And it almost it basically it was, because the next thing you know, you're in you're going to overtime. It's 24 yeah. 24. They kick that field goal at the final gun to send it to overtime, and it's like, oh man. I was, and I'm sitting there watching. And I was like, "Dude, they can't lose this game." You know, don't. I mean, it's it's not even because you're playing the Vikings and they're a division rival. It's just that you guys were playing so well, and then that one mistake changed everything. And you might lose the game, and that was the catalyst that got it all started. I was like, "I know," you know, as if just as a football fan, that would have been the thing. Is like, what the hell were you thinking? you know, going forward on fourth down in our own 30 yard line. Did they just basically just waltzed in to the end zone from there? And that's where this thing whole, whole thing got started. So, I mean, it was just, it yeah. was a question of decision and it almost cost you everything in the game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty bad. I, uh, me, like I, I, me and my dad like heavily disagreed with it. Um, sure. very like, with each with each other. When, um, when, when the play call was made, he, they were they they were lining up, and I I was of the opinion like I'm I'm pretty sure they're just trying to draw them off sides. I was telling everybody in the stands like Hey guys, I think they're just trying to draw them off sides, get them the second. Um, but when me and my dad talked about it, you know, he was like, "That would be a terrible idea if they went for it right here." And maybe 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 I was being a bit naive, but I was thinking I don't think it'd be the worst idea in the world because the thing is, if you. Joe Mixon had been having such a good game at that point, mm-hmm. and the offensive line had done such a great job. I mean, they didn't do a great job pass protecting the whole time. Most of them did, but, you know, then there was Trey Hopkins letting free rushers up the middle. But as run blockers, they did absolutely excellent. Joe Mixon had an amazing game because of it. So you're thinking, oh, Joe Mixon can get a yard. And also, a lot of us were thinking, like, you know, Jamar Chase should have probably, you know, gotten a little bit of a better spot than the Rucks gave him on that. Uh, on on that ball we were thinking like you know fourth and inches maybe uh but i guess the refs gave him like full like 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 a full yard and maybe even a couple inches beyond that and we all thought that was ridiculous but i was thinking joe mixon can probably get this and i'm sure that's what zach taylor was thinking too he was probably thinking he's got this uh he's got this play call in his back pocket and joe mixon's having a great game so let's go out there and see what happens and actually zach taylor said that later on in his press conference he's like this is who we want to be. We want to be the aggressive team who goes for it and, you know, like like tries to, you know, not just beat you, but really beat you down. And uh, he was basically saying, we're going to go win it now. And a lot of us heard that and we're like, I don't know if you're really ready to win it now because, yeah. I mean, it's still the third quarter. But at the, at the same time, that really would have killed any like thought process the Vikings would have had at that point of like, you know, oh, we got a chance in this game. That would have really, it, it, would, it would have, Maybe not been the knife that twisted their, um, like like all their hopes at that point, but it 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 would have really had been a huge momentum boost for the Bengals at that point, and they probably could have just kind of like whittled the rest of the game away if they had gotten that fourth down. Sure. So I understood sure. what Zach Taylor was going for there. I also, even in me thinking that maybe this is a good idea. You also have to understand the insane risk you're taking, especially at that point on your, um, at that point on your field. But you're also thinking you're up two scores. The defense has been playing so well. Maybe they'll hold them to a field goal. And even if not, then you know the thought process is maybe the Vikings score really quick and you get the offense right back on the field and they can, you know, build some momentum from that point. And, that didn't really happen either. The offense didn't really get going again at all the rest of the game, up
3: until
1: yeah. like
2: the waning seconds of overtime.
1: I mean, and and overtime is where where things got really interesting. Uh, you know, yeah. Cincinnati starts off with the uh, with the football, and you know they they uh, end up uh, giving the ball back to Minnesota. Who is in field goal range? And I think they were basically trying to set up to get the ball on a particular hash for the kicker. And then the controversial yep. moment in the game happens where, you know, was it Dalvin Cook or their other running back that fumbles the football? It was Dalvin Cook. It was Dalvin Cook. So there's a fumble. Yep. It's called a fumble on the field. And then replay can't support or deny the replay because it's like the ball you the ball clearly comes out but was his you know was his butt on the ground already you know it looks like from from this angle and of course he's in a cascade of bodies so there's no clear shot of it so therefore video evidence can't tell us for sure that the ball wasn't out or anything like that therefore because we got the benefit of the call on the on the you know during the play itself they can't reverse it It goes to Cincinnati. Then you guys drive down, and with literal, like, with no time left on the clock, McPherson nails a 33-yard field goal uh, to win the game. As I mean, it's either going to be a tie or we're going to win. That basically is how that was going to go there at the end there, and he nails the field goal to give the Bengals the the week one win. Now, of course, obviously Vikings fans are like, he was down, and Bengals fans are like, "Eh, maybe, but... Didn't go that way. We got the ball and we took it back and kicked the field goal and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, right. it, was, it was a crazy moment, you know, like one of those long replays. Like, I'm sure that you were sitting there in the stadium, but like for all the time that this is taking, they're going to go against us. They're trying to find out where the clock was when he was down and blah, 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 you know, and all the rest of it. And it's like, yeah, the call stands. And I'm sure the arena exploded when, uh, when, that, when that call went in your favor.
2: I thought he was definitely happy um, I, I will say there there is that you were talking about it earlier there's that like curtain of dread that kind of comes down like being a Bengals fan and seeing so many games go this way for so long there's this curtain of dread like you just know the Bengals are going to find some way to lose this even though it doesn't really quite look like it, they've quite lost it yet but at that point it looked like Dalvin Cook had basically won the game for the Vikings because you know you're in field goal range at that point
3: yeah um
2: And it wasn't until, like, the Bengals started scrambling for the ball that we all started like, oh, my God, did they fumble? Did they fumble? Because nobody thought they fumbled until we started seeing Bengals players scrambling for the ball. So you're not really sure what's going on. Then you start – the the refs are like, it was a fumble. Bengals recovered. Everybody goes crazy. And then they say they're reviewing it, and everybody's like, oh, my God, come on. (laughs) And so, you know, we're watching this. We're we're watching it up on the Jumbotron. And, you know, to be completely honest, I think the Bengals Jumbotron needs uh, upgraded. Because you know, to be quite honest, it, it was kind of blurry and a little hard to see. Um, but from from what I could tell, it looked to me like the ball was wobbling. Now I I don't know at what, what point they say this is a fumble or this is a loss of control or what. Right. Um, but it looked to me like there was a little bit of wobbling going on before his butt hit the ground, sure. which I believe that was what the question was. It was it it, it, it wasn't his knee. It wasn't anything like that. It, it, it was, did he take a seat on the ground? Or not before the ball started wobbling. It looked to me like the ball started wobbling beforehand, but it was really, really hard to tell. Um, I, I did actually go on uh, by, uh, I, I looked up the game on Game Pass the next morning, just mm-hmm. so, like, for my own podcast, I could, you know, check it out and, you know, give it a, an analysis of what I honestly think happened. And based mm-hmm. on what I saw on Game Pass, I'm like, no, that's, I, I, I don't, I don't, this, this is definitely the kind of thing that, it's only going to go the way that the call was on the field. Because right. like from what I saw on Game Pass, I thought, yeah, yeah, I think maybe he might have fumbled it. But at the same time, if they had called it not a fumble, it wouldn't have been conclusive enough to say that it was uh it wouldn't have been conclusive enough to say that it was not a fumble or that it was a fumble. Like really either way, depending on whatever was called, call call was called on the field.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I gotta say though, um if there are any Vikings fans who I, I don't know why too many Vikings fans would be listening to a Bears podcast, but if there <laughs> are any Vikings fans who listen to this podcast and you know they're they're, they're just like you know royally pissed off about the uh, that particular fumble and how it affected the game, I just got to say shut the hell up because I cannot tell you how many times I have watched the Bengals get screwed over by basically the same call. You know, back in twenty fifteen. I'm sure you've heard about the Bengals' playoff wind route. Oh, sure. uh, like, basically my entire lifetime. I'm, I was born in 1992, so the Bengals' entire lifetime, they have not won a single playoff game. Almost did in 2015 against the Steelers, but yeah. Jeremy Hill fumbled the ball.
3: Except he didn't.
2: Except Jeremy Hill didn't fumble the ball. But the refs said that he fumbled the ball on the field. I say you go back and look at that replay, you can see that the ball is not being fumbled. When it, need, when it needs to be fumbled to be called a fumble. Mm-hmm. But they called it a fumble on the field. It was really hard to overturn based on the evidence. And so at that point, Bengals lose, everything sucks, pain, everything <laughs> like that. Sure. So, so you know what? I have seen it, Vikings fans. I have seen calls like that destroy my team when I thought for sure that there was no way in hell that it was the right call. And I do think it was the right call in this case, but even if it wasn't, that's just football, man. It happened.
1: I agree with you. And, and for me, having the benefit of being at home and having all of those angles right there on, on the big screen uh, here in, in, my, yeah. in my apartment and everything, I felt the same way that you did. Because they made, a, made the call on the field, there's no evidence to say that it went, that, you know, there's nothing definitive that says he's down. Because he is covered by all of those arms and legs and everything that are in there. You can't see for sure. So it just, it was one of those things. There isn't clear video evidence to support. You can definitely see when his butt hits the ground. That's when he's officially down. And it was just like one frame, he has the ball. The next frame, he doesn't. When did it start to come out? You can't really tell. So they got to go with the call on the field. And fortunately for the Bengals, the call on the field was that it was a fumble. There's no evidence to support that it wasn't. Frankly, there's really no evidence to support that it was. But that was the call on the field, so we got to stick with that. That's one of the caveats yeah. with uh, with the with the replay system is that you know there isn't a way for us to see one thousand percent for sure. It looked like a fumble on the field, therefore we're sticking with that. That's why they say you know replay the the replay stands as opposed to what they when they say that they can see it. Replay is confirmed. For a fumble. They didn't say it was confirmed. They said the call stands. Therefore, that means the video evidence wasn't their support either way. So we got to stick with the call on the field. So but you know, as I I've I've always been kind of a root for the underdog kind of guy. Um, I was nine years old, ten years old in eighty eight when the Bengals and the icky shuffle and they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, that year. So I remember vividly what it looks like for the Bengals to win a team, win a game, and win a playoff game and go to a Super Bowl and damn near beat the 49ers uh, in that game. I was pulling heavily for the 49ers because the 49ers beat the Bears to go to that Super Bowl. Uh, it's one of the worst days of my childhood, like ever, watching the 49ers come into Soldier Field and beat us 28 to 3. It's like the worst day of my life when I was a kid. So, um, you know. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android App Store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the, uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you my loyal audience so be sure and download the spotify green room app wherever you get your apps (laughs) just to kind of go off on a tangent real quick you mentioned the the playoff drought where were you with the um marvin jones thing because i felt like they held on to jones maybe about three years longer than they should have you know, they really just kept bringing him back and bringing him back. And it's like, granted, he was the coach that dug you out of, you know. Marvin, the, Lewis. Marvin Lewis, I'm sorry. Marvin Lewis, yeah. my, my, my mistake. But, you know, with Marvin Lewis, he was the guy that dug you out of that, that, that made you guys legit, that took you to the playoffs like six, seven years uh, in a row. That would have been unheard of when he took over as head coach. But where did you come down on, you know, as a Bengals fan, were you, were, you, were you sticking with him until they finally let him go? Or was it like after 2015, his seven straight playoff loss, we got to move on with somebody else. Somebody else has got to be able to take us to the, the next step.
2: No, nah, man, I was, I was off the Marvin train after uh, 2012, I believe.
3: Wow, okay. I mean,
2: I, 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 was, I was the guy who was constantly defending him, being like, you know, look at everything he's done for our franchise. Because you got you to remember, like, back in back before Marvin Lewis showed up, For an entire like between that Super Bowl that you were just talking about Mm -hmm. and Marvin Lewis showing up, this team was just like the worst team in like like I I believe I actually looked up these stats. Uh, The the Bengals, until the Browns recently went through their like uh, long period of futility, the Bengals had the longest and most like losingest period of futility in like NFL history for a franchise that's like. You know, I, I, I think like those like those early days of the NFL. There's some really bad stuff going on, but like the sustained losing, the sustained just constantly being terrible and having no hope kind of thing. Up until the Browns just recently did worse than us, the Bengals in the '90s were about as bad as you can possibly get. Yeah. So Marvin Lewis coming in and just basically reshaping the entire culture, at least bringing us to the playoffs. Because I mean, when I was a kid, my dad had season tickets and I'd go to the games. And nobody would ever talk about playoffs. Everybody always talks about, can we win this game? Can we find a winning streak? Like, oh, my God, is, is Jeff Blake going to be this exciting thing? And maybe he can go to the Pro Bowl and we can be proud of that. But playoffs? No, that's not going to happen. But Marvin Lewis came in here and he completely changed the culture. This is like, as soon as he showed up and like, you know, proved that we could win with him, we were expecting playoffs yeah.
3: every single
2: year with Marvin Lewis. Like, I mean, the, the, When we didn't go to the playoffs, we were disappointed. And that's just something I never had when I was growing
3: up. Like yeah. like
2: the Bengals, I just the Bengals just expected to be that. Maybe we could win a game here or But Marvin Lewis came in and changed culture. And all the way up until I wanna say probably about twenty twelve, I was the guy who was always like, guys, we just need to, you know, trust Marvin Lewis. He's done so many great things for our franchise. By about 2012, I was starting to join the camp of like, maybe we should make Marvin Lewis the general manager because he's really good at personnel decisions, but maybe we should find a different head coach. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that wasn't really likely because that's not really the way the Bengals operate. But it was just kind of like this idea of like Marvin Lewis, we, we, we love Marvin Lewis and everything he's done, so we don't want to just completely kick him to the curb. But we'd like to find a role where he's more better suited than he seems to be, like, actually, like, playing, like, uh, like, uh, calling play calls. stuff.
1: So. I was I was kind of thinking him thinking of him as kind of being the um the the Tony Dungy of the of the Bengals. Whereas like when when Tony Dungy went to Tampa Bay and took over the Buccaneers, they were the laughing stock of the NFL. And by the time he left, they were one of the best teams in the league. They just couldn't get over the hump. So in comes John Gruden. You know that defense is already in place. Now he implements the offense. Now the Buccaneers go to the Super Bowl and they win it. That Marvin Lewis brought the, you know, the Bengals out of obscurity and and them being the laughing stock of the AFC year in and year out. Now they're a legit team. They're a multi-year playoff team, you know, winning the division and so on and so forth. Maybe it's time to bring somebody in to take them to the next level. Marvin Lewis has taken this team as far as he can and unfortunately, they kind of went back the other way before they finally got rid of Marvin Lewis to where you had the number one pick in the draft again and, and all that kind of stuff before you finally made that decision.
2: And that was exactly like, like what you're saying to a T is exactly what I was kind of hoping the Bengals would do with Marvin Lewis because you know, that, that really suffocating defense that we had in the early 2010s, that was – I mean, like Marvin Lewis' defensive head coach um, or a defensive coach in general, he was the one who orchestrated the 2001 Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you got to give him credit for that. But the Bengals' defense was really almost entirely when it was, like, just absolutely suffocating and great it was because of Mike Zimmer. And Mike Zimmer is absolutely the guy who I thought – you know, like I said, around 2012, after we lost our second playoff game in a row, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's time to move on from Marvin Lewis, let's go, um, you know, do something better, we already had Mike Zimmer in house at that point, so I'm thinking,
3: hey, I think Mike
2: Zimmer's about to go get a, another head coaching job somewhere else, he did, it was the Vikings, so I was thinking, let's promote Mike Zimmer to head coach, and I was also thinking Marvin Lewis, general manager, but even if the Bengals don't make him the general manager, like, just just make Mike Zimmer the head coach. And I was thinking he could
3: do the same thing that John Gruden did for the Buccaneers. after Kentucky.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's, that's where I was like 2014, 2015. And then after the loss in, in 2015, it, it just just, um, it all kind of fell apart after that. You, you didn't go back to the playoffs. Uh, and then, uh, you know, here we are in 2021 starting okay. over again, essentially with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor and uh, you know, and working your way back. Uh, up again you know what was the the general consensus about the game on Sunday was it like you know we're, we're lucky to get we got away with it you know we're lucky or were they focusing on like the first three quarters where you were dominating the game for the most part before it almost got away from you it's
2: both really um there, 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 there's a lot of talk and everybody's just like you know but but it. It's kind of like a lot of the games that we had last year. We did the same thing with the Colts. We were beating them for most of the game, and then we kind of like screwed it up at the end and somehow lost. And you know, Stuff like that happens with the Bengals, but a lot of people were like, you know, man, there was just so much promise shown in those first three quarters, and if we can just kind of harness that and keep building off of that, it's going to be great. But at the same time, People are seeing that collapse at the very end. Like, how many times have we seen this happen? We can't be doing this again. And that's what a lot of people are starting like. For, for all of the, you know, like, in my opinion, I think Zach Taylor is a very good players coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think in general he's a pretty good play caller. There's some questionable things here and there. I think he's a generally pretty good uh, decision maker. But the players love him, and that's the thing that really is the big thing. And he gets the players to – like we like when obviously the disgruntled players he doesn't really get a whole lot out of and that was a big problem that we had last year with like Gino Lack and Carlos Dunlap and you know a lot of the AJ Green a lot of the veterans who it just kind of like who were not bought into Zach Taylor's system but you see that the the young players who are bought into his system are doing absolutely great so that's I think you know the, the main criticism against Zach Taylor though is the fact that. <sighs> He just – it, it seems to happen all the time that we blow these leads. Like, you know, we like, – like I said, we could have been a fairly respectable team last year. Now that we also wouldn't have gotten Jamar Chase, so there's that. But we could have been a fairly respectable team last year if we had just closed out games. We could have been – you know, like with Joe Burrow in his first year, we could have been competing for the playoffs. We could have been doing X, Y, Z. But they – just, you know, bungled away game after game after game in like, you know, the the final minutes in like these one score games that they just could not get together for whatever reason. And that is the biggest criticism against Zach Taylor. And that's why people do kind of have like, you know, a, a not so peachy rosy kind of feeling about this game against the Vikings. Sure. But everybody is really excited to see Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and you know and, and Trey Hendrickson and all these defensive guys that we paid for except for Trey Wayne's who still hasn't played a game for the Bengals. Um, but that, that, everybody's very optimistic because of what we saw in the first three quarters. But everybody's still kind of like, man, I don't know. This is Zach Taylor guy. We Jerry's still a little bit out on him because this, this stuff keeps happening.
1: Yeah, now I, now I know you want you guys as, you know, as a as a fan base uh, definitely wanted Burrow back. But he got hurt like week 11, week 12 last year. Did you think it yeah. was a good idea yeah. for him to be back so soon?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um you got to remember who Joe Burrow is. Uh yeah. based on all the work that he did, based on you know, all the like you don't know unless you're Joe Burrow exactly how his knee is, but he got completely cleared by doctors. He worked his ass off all year, and he was posting videos about like him working out and showing the progress in his knee. And you just hear the way he talks; he's so confident about you know the like how he's going to be able. To, and he's candid every time that it bothers him. He's like, "Yeah, my knee's bothering me a little bit," but at the same time, that doesn't stop him. That 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 just motivates. Like every time Joe Burrow faces adversity, he just becomes a greater version of. It. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, my process is if Carson Palmer could make it back for week one after getting hurt in the playoffs back in right. 2005, when yeah. what, 15 years ago in terms of medical technology is basically like 7,000 years ago. <laughs> so if Carson Palmer can do that, then why can't Joe Burrow? Oh, man. Uh, so I, I, I absolutely – now, Trey Hopkins, on the other hand, you know, he, he um, I think, tore his ACL um, back in January against the Ravens in the last game of the year. And he came back for week one too, but he also looked really bad. Trey Hopkins, the, the center, by the way, um, he, he looked really bad against the uh, Vikings. So maybe he shouldn't have come back. But right. Joe Burrow, absolutely, I have no doubt that he's coming back.
1: Right. Yeah, you, you reminded me of that uh, that Carson Palmer play. Didn't he throw like a touchdown or a huge play on that one? Where uh... oh,
2: yeah, yeah, it was a I fr- I forget how long it went for, but it, it was a massive play to Chris Henry. Back, yeah, uh, rest in peace.
1: Yeah, I was, um, that I was
2: if, watching. If, 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 yeah, if they if they had had not you know basically Carson Palmer be devastatingly injured and John Kitna go in after that, then that would have been a great momentum play that really possibly could have propelled us to um, having a different Super Bowl winner that yeah, year. Because very you much, know, as you know, the Steelers yeah. went on to win that Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I remember I was watching the game with a buddy of mine, and you know, Kitna comes out and actually plays well for the remainder of the first half. And I was like, you know, this is all going to change in the second half. And he asked me why, and I was like, well, because now he knows he's the starter going into the second half. He knows that he's the quarterback no matter what. When you're yanked off the bench like that and thrown to the game, you're going on instinct and, you know, you're just doing it because you have to uh, kind of thing. There's something completely different about that break in the middle, and now you're coming out knowing that you're the starter you're not coming out of the game no matter what Carson has done uh and everything It's like you don't really know what's going on with Carson when you take the field and everything and I was like it's going to be different and unfortunately in the second half it was it's when the Steelers took over that game and uh ended yeah. up winning it just it like but that that small thing changed everything it just it did like I, I thought the Bengals were, were destined to win that game uh for sure and then that moment happens and it. uh you know, the, you had the early momentum and, and all that kind of stuff, but in the second half, it all came yeah. crashing down. Uh, when, uh, yeah, when the second half started there.
2: Yeah, and I was I, I was I was at that game too. And let me tell you, I feel like I was I believe thirteen years old at the time. You were talking about um, uh, when you were ten years old watching the Bears lose to the Forty Nine ers and get absolutely destroyed. You know that, that 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 same feeling you had that that just that that feeling of oh my god, I cannot believe. It happening kind of thing mm-hmm. so that 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 was me at 13 years old watching Carson Palmer get carted off
1: yeah I, I was a, I was a fan of that 05 team because we got to got to watch you uh kick our ass up close and personal at like week three or week four that year that was when uh Ocho Cinco the famous uh uh what was it the uh the river dance in the end zone after his like second or third touchdown uh against yes. us uh, that year. Yeah, That's,
2: that that river dance was my one of my favorites
1: of the, his touchdown celebration. Right. Yeah, and so yeah, I remember that game. It's like you guys was like these guys are good, you know. So the the Bears ended up coming back that year. We finished eleven and five. Erlacher was defensive player of the year. So um, you know, we'll never know what 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 could have happened uh there. But uh, like I'm I'm a fan of that Marvel series. What if you know you can do a whole you know anthology of of what ifs on on football and. You know, if this player doesn't get hurt in this moment, what you know, where does this take us, and and all that kind of stuff? And the '05 Bengals is definitely one of those big what ifs. What if Palmer doesn't get hurt in that Steeler game? Yeah. How does how does the AFC how does the AFC never mind the Super Bowl? How does the AFC turn out that year? If um, well, you know, you know actually, if the turn uh, out? You, you
2: know, Dave Damaschek, um you know, re- recently. I don't, think he, I don't think he's retired. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on with him, but he definitely left his podcast recently. But Dave Damashek, big Steelers fan on NFL Network and all that. But he had this uh, YouTube series going for a while called the NFL, which basically yes. is what you're talking about, yeah, like, you know, going yeah. back. And, and he, he actually made his uh, series about that 2005 Bengals team and what would have happened if Carson Palmer hadn't went down. And Dave Damashek, big giant Steelers fan that he is, he said that the Bengals would have gone to the Super Bowl that year if it hadn't been for that injury.
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, I believe
2: he said the Bengals would have won the Super Bowl that year.
1: I think I actually remember this video. Didn't they win back to back Super Bowls or something like that? Or go to back to back Super Bowls in that scenario? It,
2: it might have been something like that. Yeah. I, I do know, like, like, like just, from a, just from a history perspective, I know that 2006 Bengals team. Really should have done a lot more than they did do, but they they, they ended up falling off down the stretch. And um, you had uh, you had Shane Graham missing a key field goal against the Broncos, and we missed the playoffs because of that. But that 2016 had the potential of being almost as good as that 2005 team. kind of like you know what has been the story through so many of Zach Taylor's teams is they just you know couldn't find a way to get it done in a lot of key games.
1: Yeah. So what's the opinion? Like you know if. So, because if it doesn't go well this year, you know, say that you are, you know, five and twelve, six and eleven, or whatever. Which it's all of a sudden it's hard to do the math on the schedules because of the seventeenth games, like six and eleven, six and ten, five and twelve. You know that kind of thing. Um, yeah. What's the outlook for Zach Taylor? Do you think they're going to have anywhere near the patience they had with Marvin Lewis? Or are they going to pull the trigger on Zach Taylor and get somebody else in there because of okay. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and things like that?
2: Right, so so here, here's the thing. Marvin Lewis uh, took this team to six playoff games. Now, he didn't win any of them, but he took the team to, yeah, six. No, seven, seven actually, because that uh, we, we went in 2009 and we lost the Jets. But Marvin Lewis went to seven playoff games. In Cincinnati Bengals. That's why he stuck around as long as he did, because even though they couldn't get over the hump, they, the Bengals believed in him because he turned the, the, the entire franchise around, and he... You know he, he was he was putting success on the field, and even though they couldn't get past that hump, the Bengals still felt like he was the best coach that had come along in Cincinnati in years and years and years and years. And like, how are you going to get rid of a guy who is at least making the playoffs? That was, that, that was the main thing. Um, so the, Zach Taylor does not have that. Zach Taylor is currently 725 yeah, uh, now he, won, he the, 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 Everybody talks about six twenty-five and one, which was his record before we beat the Vikings
3: on Sunday. Right. Um.
2: But you know, Zach Taylor has lost twenty-five games. He he has. He doesn't even have. This is third season. He doesn't even have double-digit wins in the NFL yet. So, yeah, if if it, if, if it's bad this year, Zach Taylor's gone. Um. Now I'm I, I was one of I, I'm a big I'm a fan of Zach Taylor I like him I think he's got the right stuff I think the team's going to be good this year and I think that's partially because I think Zach Taylor's been building the team very well. Um, it's just you know a lot of things haven't really kind of come together the way they need to, but it seems like they're starting to come together now. We'll see. The jury's still out on that. We'll see if that actually ends up coming to fruition or not. But point being, I am a pretty big Zach Taylor fan. I was actually like. When we fired Marvin Lewis, I he, I actually did a uh, look at the available coaches myself, and I said um, Zach Taylor is the guy we need to target. Um, a lot of Bengals fans wanted Eric Bieni partially because he used to play for the Bengals, and and, and Bengals fans don't really um, use logic very much sometimes. But <laughs> but,
3: <laughs> but <laughs> Eric we had
2: put together a very good offensive
3: resume.
2: But in fairness, Zach Taylor you know, had put together a pretty good offensive resume with the Rams. At the time, it looked pretty good. And also, Zach Taylor actually had some, albeit interim coaching experience. He did have some, um, like, higher-level coaching experience than just being a quarterback's coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, he he was familiar with uh, Cincinnati when he was um, briefly the uh, offensive coordinator, I believe, at UC. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so so, uh, Zach Taylor... Looked like a pretty good candidate at the time. I really wanted the Bengals to go after him as opposed to all the other candidates who were out, which honestly the, that year, I believe was a terrible year for head coaching candidates. But Zach Taylor, I was like, oh, Zach Taylor, I think he's an up-and-coming guy. Let's see what this guy can do. Now I will say now that uh, we're, you know, we're going into this season 625-1. and You got to win. Yeah. Like you already got Joe Burrow. You had the one you, – you had like 2019 – I call that a mulligan year, right? Because sure. like Marvin Lewis, great head coach, but by the like, you know, by the time twenty nineteen rolled around, that team was a shell of its former self in twenty fifteen. And I think what they were constantly trying to do is they were trying to rebuild the same core that they had from twenty fifteen. But by twenty nineteen, that core had, you know, either gone gotten over the hill or some guys had, you know, left and gone to other teams. It just like you know, trying to build off of that same core that we had in 2015 was just it's not working anymore. And Zach Taylor really had almost nothing to work with. I think anybody would have. Like I think maybe Marvin Lewis could have gotten six wins out of that team rather than two. But I think anybody would have had a bad record with the in So I I was like, at ah, 2019, is are all again. Let's move on. Let's see what happens in 2020. 2020 comes along, and there's a lot of stuff to build on. There's a lot of stuff to think. Hey. I think that we're kind of headed in the right direction here. Um, I mean, we we didn't end up winning a lot of games, but we almost won a bunch of games, which makes you think that like, you know, they they got something to build off of here. So
1: I think the idea is
2: like, you know, you bring back Zach Taylor for that third season because the first season basically didn't count. The second season wasn't. Great, but there was some stuff that you can say. Hey, I think there's something to build off of here. Also, he has Joe Burrow's vote of confidence, which is like you know that's 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 all you need right there. Joe Burrow says he's great, and well that's what's to keep the guy around. So year three, but you gotta win. You know that like I, I like in my opinion the Bengals need to go at least nine and eight for Zach Taylor to remain the Bengals head coach. No. Uh he, they need to be in the playoff hunts by the end of the year, they, they need to be like – it can't be one of those things where, like, you know, they they do terrible at the beginning of the year, and then they kind of, like, put together a string of wins at the end of the year, just, like, finish with a more respectable record than the actual year itself would have you believe. Because that, that happened a lot in the 90s, and coaches, you know, didn't get fired because they had strong finishes to the year. Zach Taylor needs, I think, to have, like, a consistent kind of, like, you know – we're doing pretty well. We're beating the teams, most of the teams that we should be beating, and we're playing really well. If not beating some of the teams that um, a lot of that nobody expects us to beat, like you know when we play Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Now let's see if let, let, let's see if what happened on. Uh, well, let's see what happened down in Jacksonville was a fluke or not. Right. But in theory, the Packers are a really good team, especially with Aaron Rodgers. So can you go uh, at least? play with Aaron Rodgers can you maybe beat Aaron Rodgers can you go you know get stuff like that done because like you know if you can't then what are we even doing here if you can't then you know do we really want to waste Joe Burrow's rookie contract with a head coach that can't get it done I I I think I think at that point you're really just there's too many questions that just haven't been answered about Zach Taylor and you got to move on
1: yeah, these are the same questions yeah. we're asking ourselves with uh, Justin Fields. You know, do we want yeah. to do we want to hang on to 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 Nagy and and you know ruin Justin Fields, you know cheapness, if you will, while we can still afford him uh, and everything because decent quarterbacks are making forty million dollars a year now. So uh, yeah. you know that's going to be quite an upgrade in pay, especially since he's the eleventh pick overall. So he's maybe making four or five million. A season right now, as opposed to forty five that Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes and all those guys uh, are getting, and God for God knows what uh, what Baltimore is going to have to give Lamar Jackson or Buffalo. Well, Buffalo already gave you know a truckload of money to yeah. uh, to Josh Allen or or what's uh, Cleveland. You know, in your division is going to have to give up to to um, Baker Mayfield or what yeah, you guys I, are going to have to pay I, Joe Burrow four years from now. So.
2: eventually eventually yeah so that that's why you want that's, that's why you really want Zach Taylor to work out because you don't want Joe Burrow to have to be like one of those quarterbacks who goes through like you know all these different changes during their rookie contract and doesn't really get it together until like going forward because I mean think about what happened to um, well just Josh Rosen alone I mean I know he was you know I know he was a bust but at the same time like Part of the reason he flamed out as hard as he did is just because he was just constantly cycling through so many different coaches, so many different schemes, so many different teams, so many different cities. Um, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying what happened to Josh Rosen is going to happen to Joe Burrow if you fire Zach Taylor. But, I mean, that's an extreme example of what happens to quarterbacks sometimes. They get drafted to a team that's unstable. Baker Mayfield is a good example, by the way. Now, he has started to kind of come along. You know, Kevin Stefanski really found something that worked for him. But he went from Hugh Jackson to Freddie Kitchens and, you know, and, and then offensive coordinator turnover after offensive coordinator turnover. And it, he, he he flashed and showed you why he was, you know, the uh, picked when he was. But at the same time, it's just like you know he he's not really putting it all together all at the same time consistently. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he just went through so much turnovers and so much turnover constantly early in his career. Yeah. So now he's going into um, a situation where Kevin Stefanski, who you know, I was very angry about, by the way, when the Browns signed Kevin Stefanski, because I'm like, no, crap, that's exactly who they need. <laughs> like, the Browns can't get good before the Bengals get good. That's not fair. <laughs> but I thought, I, I, thought, I thought Kevin Stefanski was a great hire, and he seems to be correct. And uh, Baker Mayfield, so far, um, has really responded to Kevin Stefanski's system. And I, I think he's primed for a really huge year. And honestly, I thought the Browns probably should have like extended him uh, in the offseason, Because Mm -hmm. now Baker Mayfield is going to be super expensive when he has a big year this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, let's wrap things up here. We're coming to the game uh, on Sunday. What is it the Bengals need to do to come away with victory number two against my Bears?
2: Well, I think one of the biggest keys is can that pass rush that we saw um, against the Vikings, can, can it be... Equally effective against um, Andy Dalton because that's that's how you get Andy Dalton. By the way, you rattle him. Uh, trust me, as a Bengals fan, I can tell you that's how you get Andy Dalton to make mistakes. Is you, you get in his head and you rattle him, and that that's pretty. As far as like beating your offense, I think it's the main thing. As far as the as far as our offense goes, um, I, I think it's really just going to come down to um, a lot of what we saw against the Vikings, kind of a kind of a more balanced game-style approach than uh, we saw a lot last year. Um, If Joe Mixon, I think, can do good things against your – if Joe Mixon can do good things against the Bears and give Joe Burrow a little bit more room to work with, then I think uh, that that really good, balanced, offensive approach is what it's really going to take for the Bengals to win in general this year. And I think especially against a team like the Bears, who do have such a really great defense that – it's really kind of hard to, you know, poke. Well, there are some holes, but there aren't really any consistent holes in any particular space. Yeah. So so that that's what the Bengals need to do is I think they need to be balanced. They need to be trying to poke as many holes as they can to find where the holes are. Um, and on defense, like I said, it's just, hopefully the secondary can handle Andy Dalton mm-hmm. not too hard. But uh, I, th- I think that I think that pass rush is key. It's like uh, one guy who I think really deserves a little bit of spotlight, who I think that the uh, Bears really need to pay attention to, is B.J. Hill. He's our new um, three technique. I believe he's playing a three technique anyway. He's a Defensive tackle for the Bears, and uh, he was just lighting it up against the Vikings. Like you know, I think I think two of the three sacks yeah, he were did. for B.J. Hill. Yeah. and we actually we got him in a trade for Billy Price, who, if you're aware of who he is, he was a yeah. first round bust that we had at center, and we we sent him over to the Giants, who aren't playing this guy named B.J. Hill because their defensive line is so stacked that this guy just can't find playing time. Mm-hmm. So they're just looking to ship him off for what they can get, and they need some help with the offensive line. And you know, hey, Billy Price, former first round pick. Let's see if we can get anything out. So far, it doesn't look like he's made much of an impact because he didn't even get in in the first game. But B.J. Hill made it in for the Bengals, and B.J. Hill went absolutely off. So I think if, if uh, you know, him, Larry Jovi, D.J. Reader, Josh Tupou, that you know, really core of the interior defensive line can, you know, be as good as they were last week. You know, it, it honestly it's over for Andy Dalton. Like I, I've I've seen way too many times Andy Dalton just get you know like deer in headlights when, you know, the interior
1: breaks down. Well, thankfully we have a guy named Justin Fields who might be the antidote to that poison if that in fact happens. He's he's a little bit more active in the pocket. He can run and things like that. So, you know, push comes to shove. Maybe Nagy will pull the trigger uh, on that. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we as an offense will challenge uh, your secondary a lot more than we – I don't know if it was Jalen Ramsey or if it was the pass rush or maybe a combination of the two. But like I mentioned at the top of the show, we didn't throw a pass longer than 15 yards the entire football game, which is kind of depressing considering that at one point we went for it on fourth and 15 and somehow did not throw a 15-yard pass in that uh, in that space. No, that,
2: that sounds like Andy Dalton. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, for, for the thing is, man, it's not just Andy Dalton. It's Matt Nagy and his offense because – it, they they the offense uh, or, or Nagy at least runs the routes as though the first down marker is a force field that you can't penetrate if you don't have the football because you're not allowed to run past that line unless you have the ball in your hand or at least that's how they treat it anyway because if fourth and you know fourth and six we're running four yard routes third and six your know, third and five or whatever we're we're always a yard or two short of the line and then expecting our receivers. Uh, or pass catchers or whatever to gain, you know, get the line to gain after they catch the ball. Like they think the momentum will carry them over the line to gain and instead of having uh, on third and five running seven-yard routes and then coming back for the football so that when you catch it and get tackled immediately, you've got the first down. I don't know why they yeah. do that. I, honestly, it makes zero sense to me that they do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's how it it goes. I'm hoping that we'll challenge the secondary a little bit more, throw the ball downfield, because one of the big focuses of our offseason was speed. We went out and got um, Marquise Goodwin, who was a speedster from San Francisco. Demir Bird was, you know, fast from from New England. We even signed uh, Brashad Perriman, uh, the former first-round pick for the Ravens and other teams, because he wasn't much of a... Uh, he was kind of he was a first round bust, let's be honest, but it's speed speed, 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 and then we don't throw a pass over 10 yards uh, against the rams. So I'm hoping that we'll try to put that speed to some good use and uh, you know challenge the secondary uh, a little bit and and see what happens uh, there. So maybe maybe have a little bit more trust in the offensive line because they weren't bad against the Rams. Um, but uh, you know we'll have to wait and see. Uh, how that all goes but one thing that I do find interesting is that um, going into this ball game it's the two league leading rushers right now Joe Mixon number one uh, David Montgomery uh, number two at uh, 108 just behind uh, Joe Mixon so we'll see if that trend continues and we get a a nice old school run battle uh, out of this uh, thing and uh, you know see how it all ends up at the end. So uh, the the name of your podcast, The Battle of Ohio, it's an interesting idea because your partner's a, a Browns fan. You're the Bengals guy. Tell me what that's like, mm-hmm. Browns-Bengals week. What what's, what's the show like the week that you're actually playing each other?
2: Oh, man, Browns-Bengals week. You know, uh, last year, Thomas actually, Thomas, he's the um, uh, name of my Browns co-host, he actually came down to Cincinnati to watch that, you know, like, that famous Joe Burrow versus Baker Mayfield duel. And when the Browns found a way to uh, come out with it at the very end, he was insufferable. <laughs> just absolutely insufferable for that entire time period. I mean, we, we do fun stuff. You know, we just started a fantasy league. You know, the, the whole idea of our podcast is kind of like, you know, trying to like stoke that spirit of competition between two teams that aren't just, you know, long-time rivals, but two teams that I think – um, we both think are on the rise And poised to kind of become the next big You know rivalry in the NFL um, Like you know Like like formerly being Steelers-Ravens But honestly I don't really Personally I'm not terribly sold On the future of the Steelers And you know the Ravens I think so The jury's still out on a few things Going on with them So the, the Browns have already showed That they are lot of directions they've been going lately it's just about putting it together and once that happens this rivalry is going to be so much fun to cover and it already is fun to cover because obviously me and Tom's already know each other we know a lot of you know Bengals and Browns fans we can kind of stoke that spirit of competition we do we, we do weekly predictions for the NFL um every week which is what weekly means I guess <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know like, like we did we did a jersey bet last year and he bought me. um because i beat him in the playoffs uh he ended up having to buy me um a joe burrow jersey from the new style that we came out with this year and uh we're probably going to do another maybe maybe jersey bet maybe some other sort of like you know not like thousands of dollars kind of bet or anything like that but something to kind of make the podcast fun something to kind of you know we don't want to tune in and see you know like who won this week um you know, it, it, it's like we're really we're we're battling every week on the Battle of Ohio, me and him. And uh, we're also, you know, constantly. If, if you're the kind of person who has any sort of negative feelings about the Steelers, you might want to uh, tune in and listen because we take <laughs> shots at the Steelers every single opportunity. Because there's one thing that Bengals and Browns fans
1: can, can agree on: it's yeah. that the
2: Steelers still suck. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that would be like uh, me and a, a Lions fan doing a podcast, and every every week we take a shot at Green Bay or something. Uh, exactly. like that. So, yeah, I get it. So it's it's the Battle of Ohio. You can find it everywhere. Where else can we keep up with you online?
2: Um, well, the the only place you can really find the podcast right now is on YouTube. I'm working on getting it on another pl- a few other platforms, but you can follow the uh, Twitter feed. Um, at, uh, Battle of OH, I think is what it is. I was kind of wanting to do, like, Battle of, Battle of OH Pod or something like that, or, like, oh, like, something like that, but a lot of the different ones were taken. So right now it's Battle of OH. Um, you can also find me at Phelps 92 on Twitter. Um, you can find me dot com slash the Phelps because that was the best name I could come up with when I was the best <laughs>
3: Um...
2: I've also got a YouTube channel. Um I don't I'm, I'm not very consistent with it, but every once in a while I put out some Bengals content. Um that might be worth checking out. So, you know, you okay. can check that out. It's just it's just my name, Kyle Phelps.
1: All right. Well, Kyle Phelps, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much uh for coming on the show, getting us ready for uh week 2 and uh good luck on Sunday.
2: Excellent, man. I'll see you in 4 years. <laughs>
1: Once again, I want to thank Kyle Phelps from the Battle of Ohio podcast for being on the show, and of course, the uh, "see you again in four years" comment was, of course, talking about how long it's going to be before the Bengals pop up on our schedule again, which may not be true. We now with the um, with the seventeenth game, the uh, you know one of the uh, divisions becomes a same place opponent, so maybe it could happen sooner. We'll have to uh, wait and see. Uh, on that one, the year that we play the AFC North as our uh, random uh, same-place opponent, like we're playing the Raiders here in a few weeks because we both finished second in the division uh, last year. Maybe the Bengals will pop up somewhere. Uh, Who knows? But uh, otherwise, yeah, it'll be 2025 before the Bengals pop up on the uh, schedule again, and uh, we'll see if Kyle's still around and wants to do the show again around that time. But, um, you know, it's... um, it, it's going to be an interesting game. After watching them play up close and personal, it's. Uh, it, it, I'm at least nervous about playing the Bengals. Whereas, you know, when the schedule came out, we saw week one at the Rams Sunday night football. I was like, okay, that's probably a loss right there. But we come home to play the 4-12 and 12 Bengals. Yeah, that's probably a win right there. After watching us play on Sunday night, watching the Bengals play on Sunday afternoon, it might not be as solid a pick as it was uh, before the season started. They look pretty good against the Vikings, but then again, like I said at the at the beginning of the show with with, with Kyle, you know, looking through the lens of twenty twenty, are the Vikings just another bad offense, or excuse me, a bad defense like they were uh, last season, or you know, or were the Bengals as good as they were building up to be before Joe Burrow? got hurt? You know, is it a combination of the two or was it just one of those week one things? The Bengals were more prepared than the Vikings were. And it's going to, you know, now that we've got some things on tape, things are going to even themselves out. The Bears will figure out what to do to slow down uh, the Bengals. The Vikings will improve a little bit on defense and we'll go forward uh, from there. That's what makes the results of week one so hard to, you know, like, oh, this is how the season Uh, is going to go the Packers aren't going to lose every game by 35 points uh, unfortunately the uh, the Rams who look damn good on Sunday night football aren't just going to rail everybody by 20 the way they did against us you know because they didn't beat us by 20 points as far as like pounding it down our throat and you know moving the ball methodically down the field or whatever there are a couple of big plays from it just being a one score game you know, we don't make those defensive blunders. We're looking at a completely different uh, football game. They were just taking advantage of the mistakes that we were making. And and actually, that's what makes them a good football team, but I don't think they were 20 points better than us on Sunday. For the majority of that football game, the Bears were in it. They were in the Rams' face uh, in that football game. We were better than the 20-point loss showed uh, on the scoreboard for the mo- most part. So that's why you kind of look at it, it's like, you know, if the Rams did that to us in our secondary, it's possible the Bengals could do the same thing because they're just about as talented in the, at least in the the quarterback and uh, receiving core aspect of their offense that, uh, you know, as long as they can keep Joe Burrow upright, they have a chance to gash us in the passing game the same way that the Rams did. And that's what makes me nervous uh, about this game, because like I said, I don't think the Rams were 20 points better than us. But because of those big plays, those points were tacked onto the scoreboard and made it that much harder for us to, uh, to, uh, to catch up and, uh, you know, make a ball game, make a real ball game uh, out of it. So, you know, defense has got a got a chore ahead of itself, and that's before we travel out to Cleveland next week to play the Browns and, uh, you know, the, the, the balanced attack they have uh, out there as well. So, I mean, the defense doesn't really get a break uh, well, even when we go, uh, even when we come back home for the lions in a few weeks, cause you know, they, they, uh, put up an impressive, you know, 33 points against the, uh, the, uh, the 49ers in a, in a comeback attempt, um, at the end of week one, you know, they went down huge and then made it a one score game, uh, going into the end of it. So, I mean, they, uh, they made it exciting at least, and they, they show they could rattle off some points against the good defense, uh, in San Francisco. So. Can't wait to talk to Jeremy Reisman about that game and, and how it went from like thirty-eight to you know thirty-eight to ten or whatever it was, all the way up to forty-one to thirty-three as the as the final score. But um, you know, so the, the potential for disaster in this game is there. Everything from the first pass that Dalton puts into the ground, uh, you know, anything like that, the boos are going to come. The first time Justin Fields takes the Takes the field even for one of his random stupid read option. I'm going to hand off on the reverse, even though Andy Dalton is fully capable of doing this type plays. He's going to get a standing ovation, like a you know uh, a hero welcome uh, to come on the field because he scored a touchdown last week, and Andy Dalton did not. Uh, kind of thing. So it's uh, th- there's there's a lot of room for this thing uh, to to go sideways for us our secondary did not play well and the Bengals passing game uh was lighting up the uh the Vikings and like I said Burrow was 20 of 27 so he he hardly missed uh in that game uh on Sunday he, he looked pretty good so you know it, where it was at the beginning you know when the schedule came out it looked like okay well this is a great place for us to rebound get a win uh you know get back to one-on-one before a tough game in Cleveland to all of a sudden with the way our secondary play and the way that their offense played last week, 0-2 is a very real possibility. So that's what makes me nervous about it. I mean, and the bank, like you said, you heard Kyle talking about Zach Taylor, he needs to win this year. He doesn't need to win at all, but he needs to win more than he loses this year, and this would be a great place for him to get an extra win that uh, he'll probably need towards the end of the season when his job gets gets to be on the line so um, yeah should be interesting looking forward to it though because I really do think we have a great chance uh, to win this football game we just have to approach it the right way and talking about Matt Nagy we uh, don't know if that's going to happen but uh, we'll talk more about that tomorrow on the uh, on the deep dive uh, preview we'll get into news and notes bill laser and and the plays and the players are we're making some interesting comments in the in the press we'll talk about the injury report Who's our left tackle gonna be is is jason peters gonna be able to to come back is larry borum gonna be back from his uh from his ankle injury we're looking at elijah wilkins uh, wilkinson again or you know did, did we signed a, a tackle to the practice squad maybe they try to get him ready to go who knows all right it's it's going to be a Mystery, But we'll take a look at the injury report. We have news and notes, keys to the game, and everything else uh, in between. So be sure to come on back for that tomorrow. And like I said, keep your eye on the social medias to find out when I'm going to show up on the Battle of Ohio podcast. So uh, we'll see you back tomorrow. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.